we haven't recorded a podcast since these two became extra specially famous, have we? Or have no. we? Together? No. Because Chinch wasn't around last time. No. So that since we last we were last together, Chinch has actually had his face on television. Next to Thierry Henry, no less. Mm-hmm. And Steve's done Match of the Day. So what are you two going to do? Well, what I'm th- well, nothing. But what I'm thinking is, is set-piece menu an engine for greatness? I think it already has well, proved 50% so. it is. Since we started this podcast mm. a year ago, 50% of the of the team have seen their careers blossom. Blossom. And me blossom and me, 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 So imagine. Imagine what will happen in the next year. R- yeah. Rory and I have stagnated wildly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Although we have had the most significant familial developments, so therefore we can... Yes, your focus has been elsewhere. Don't yeah, punish exactly. yourselves. I, I got a dog. And yeah. you got married. Yeah. And you've had a baby. Where were well, you I going thought, to include thought, the baby? I thought, I thought we would only have one inch. <laughs> no. So you're not going to include the baby? Uh, it was a joke, Chinch. Of course, I'd it include the baby. It didn't seem like a joke. His name's Edward. The dog? No, <laughs> no. The dog's name is Hector. The dog came along first, so that's yeah. why it's the most significant moment yeah. in... And obviously, the, we the saw first, your first It was the first responsibility that Rory took. We have a special bond, me and the dog. Yes, do, yes. Do you, don't do we know it? Do you consider Hector and Edward brothers? We refer to Hector as brother Hector to Edward, although Edward is not... Not Cap- capable of, of thought brother, or un- brother, brother Hector, Hector. like a monk it's a doggy monk <laughs> yeah. what the hell's going on uh, no but obviously Edward doesn't care because he's seven weeks old he might care just can't express himself you meant to talk to them I'm not sure what it does we t- we were, we've been reading to him but he, he hates it pointless <laughs> he can pointless. tell he's just crying he just, just, he just cries he just cries we try <laughs> and read to him and just stop. throw the ball it, yeah stop yes, reading I, the instructions <laughs> just throw the ball stop stop reading really really sad stories to him they are quite uh, depressing no it's, stop reading him Chekhov I think he's they, they say Is Chekhov they, sad they, they say when you have a baby mm. as people with babies will know that you should read to them from birth and so we thought right we'd really Is there to a do book called From Birth <laughs> very good uh, that, that's beneath you Hugh that was beneath you come on come on. there's not point reading to who hasn't got a sack of blancmange well, well, because they're taking no notice that's what we've that's what we've discovered they? that they don't it's great to talk to him mm. and, and we, we are t- talking to him as much as we can but yeah. actually reading to him is a bit sit him in front of Match of the Day because apparently there's some very famous people commentate on that programme now yes and also also Stephen Wyeth uh, how was Russia? Russia was good very cold uh, it was it was good. Moscow's a great city. It is mm. beautiful. It is absolutely I beautiful. I don't know if, I, if beautiful would be my go-to adjective. Well, it for depends. Moscow. It depends where you go. If you go, it's like Milan. If you go to the very centre, mm. everything around you is stunning. Mm. You go a little bit beyond the centre, and it, it is literally, very literally, so that you can no longer see the Duomo. <laughs> yes, and that's no, it. But. What I mean was, in fact, I'm not, I don't want that butt in. I don't want that butt in. I want that butt to not be there. No more. <laughs> that it, means the butt will be there. Shots have already been taken. <laughs> it's it's more that the beauty is beauty, but it's it's more imposing. Yes, impressive. perhaps I was being lazy with yeah. my vernacular. I yes. don't know if it's, it's if it's as beautiful as it is an impressive city. How much did you get to peek behind the Iron Curtain as nice. the doors of the Kremlin were thrown open to the I world's went, media? I went into the Kremlin. Did I you did go to the Armory Museum, as I suggested? No, you? didn't have time. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, it was he was there for work, Hugh. It was quite so was I when I went, but I still found time. It was quite good inside the Kremlin. I, it was quite good. It's quite <laughs> well. It's 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 just a city within a city. It feels it's a bit. It's in, it's cool being in there. I enjoyed being in, inside the Kremlin. I walked in with the chat with Josh, the chap from the Wall Street Journal. We felt as though we were we, oh, were, right, we were kind of strengthening numbers against the FSB, um, <laughs> and they didn't care. Uh, and then when we left, we left the draw hall at like eleven, and tried to find something to eat and wandered around in the snow for ages. And then we came back to Red Square and they'd shut Red Square, which apparently happens very rarely, but is when Mr. Putin is. Uh, sleeping there. What, just in the middle? You know, it's paving. Well, it's, it's it, not grand It ordinarily way. is Hugh Engelbert Ferris. But this time... <laughs> That's my real name. It, 
was not because they constructed a winter wonderland. Oh, there. have they? Yeah. Well, then I refer to my original comment, which is that it is beautiful. Maybe instead of sleeping there, he'd gone ice skating on the rink. I and they imagine. needed to, to, to partition. Putin, which is... The Russians don't say Putin. They say Putin. It's much more... Russian. The, do you know my... my <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, these various different accents why we get around the, the world. Why Russians <laughs> not pronounce names with an English accent? But they actually refer to him more often than not as Vladimir, Vladimir, Vladimirovich, which is his... Vladimir, like son of Vladimir, Vladimir, son of Vladimir. Because like, they all know him that well. The other thing I really noticed was how much the Russians, the individuals, certainly those I spoke to, not a representative sample necessarily, but certainly not all journalists, are kind of, they kind of mock him. They kind of take really? the mickey a bit, yeah? And I was really surprised. Is that not dangerous? Very quietly they mock him. Yes. The, I was really surprised. I thought there'd be, it would be kind of a, a kind of, what's the word? A cultish kind of almost religious situation where he was kind of this hero to the people that liked him but even people who clearly did, didn't have a problem with him were a bit like yeah Vladimir yeah. you know in his topless did him, they think that you were, him on his horse did yeah. they think you were capable of organising political asylum for them no because I, I'm, if there's one thing I'm not capable of organising it's political <laughs> asylum there are many otherwise other as well I'm sure but the, 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 I think a lot of his support comes from outside of Moscow and the rural areas that's true but I, will, I, was, Trump. I was also in Samara and where Tolietti, they, where they which, mocked him to the hills, where there was the same sort of tone, not not kind of outright we hate him or anything, but just kind of gentle. There wasn't this kind of cult of the. Per I was expecting a cult of the personality, as far as I can tell, on an individual basis. There wasn't one that I encountered. Chinch seems to have a question uh, about uh, this. Let's get let's get to something really important. Has Mister been translated into Russian? Mister has been translated into no other languages. <laughs> wow. Yes, that's extraordinary. All they would love it over there. All they? football love books. it. Even those football books that you get that are biographies of famous people that have been constructed exclusively from the internet are translated into loads of languages, but not Mr. Which yeah, great was, audio book. Which was award-nominated. Would you like a Russian person to read the audiobook version of Mr. in Russian? That would be tremendous, yeah. 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 I'm going to give a copy of Mr. I've got like 19 spare. Uh, we gave Ross part one. That's it. I've not been able to shift any of the, <laughs> the, the, the I'm going to give one to Sean Dyche for Christmas. You should. I've decided. You need, to, you need to repair that particular bridge, and I think a copy of Mr. would be a suitable way of Have doing I seen it. you since I last saw Sean? Yeah. Yes, uh, and you mentioned that you were going to yeah. uh, give him a Well, copy. unless you've seen him so again. Uh, off no, air, uh, you mentioned no. that. I don't think you mentioned it on the pod. Uh, b because Sean Dyche brought up... Uh, I didn't want to correct him, because I thought if I'd corrected him, he'd hate me again. But we were getting on really nicely, and Sean said... He was talking about kind of basically everything's been invented in football, and he now thinks that the innova innovation is in detail, which I broadly agree with. Uh, and he said, look, you know, passing football, passing football was... Notice I'm not doing the impressions, I respect him. Passing football... <laughs> go, on, go on, you want to do it, don't you? Passing football was invented in, you know, by, by the engineers, by Royal Engineers. I don't think that's true. I think it was Queen's Park. I think they called... Pa passing football was known as the Scottish game for a long time. And, I and that, that is in the early stages of your book, so it he certainly is. really needs that so book. I might, I'm going to get it to him as a kind of peace offering, but really it's an educational tool. Yes, it's what, a rebuke to yeah. him. With what, with the... With the Key paragraphs underlined. Yeah. Like the page, your attention. The, the page folded over. Read <laughs> <Asterisks>. <laughs> Notes. A bit like when you get something to sign from your solicitor and it's got those those little coloured uh, arrows for oh, waiting to pay attention. Not, I, I, I'm not meaning to mock Sean Dyche. We had a really interesting chat, but I just thought it was, you know, I just. I think Phil is always discrediting Queen's Park, and, and that's not fair on Queen's Park. This is Set Piece Mini, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The podcast where one year ago this week, we were deluded enough to think that other people might actually like to join us for the time that we spend together rambling on about what interests us. So on this first anniversary, uh, the first thing that we must say 
It's thank you to everyone who decided that that was something they fancied doing and for sticking with us through one marriage, two births and 52 weekly shows. Along the way, we've talked about everything from pre-teens to post-truth. We've learned more about Neville Southall than we ever thought we would (laughs) and wanted to and also discovered that Rory was once a substitute for a team that only had 10 players. (laughs) Thanks to you, the listeners, we have played some set-piece menu bingo. We've prompted Steve to sing and asked Chinch what is the biggest animal that he could single-handedly cling film to a goal post. So here's to another 52 shows of Soccer Waffle while hoping uh, to, along the way, have some nice waffles. Uh, But that is, for now, enough navel-gazing. Let's crack on with show number 53 with these fine gentlemen who are joining me, Hugh Ferris, Andy Hinchcliffe, Seven Caps, Rory Smith, two books, although Rafa got the credit for one of them, and Stephen Wyeth, one match of the day bespoke introduction from Gary Lineker. That was the, the best moment of my year. A match of the day debut for Stephen Wyatt. I'm going to put it in my Christmas letter. I don't do a Christmas letter. I, I did not think for one minute that you were the kind of person <laughs> that did a Christmas letter. <laughs> and I was slightly disturbed that I'd never had a copy exactly. of it. Stephen, w- w- uh, first of all, now is, it Stephen? Na- is it now Stephen? Is this like an Andrew Cole thing? No, this is not an Andrew Cole thing. Do you know what? I've always preferred being called Stephen. And the people that decided I was going to be called Steve are the people that work in the IT department at the BBC, who, when they set up my account, when I first joined the BBC, simply decided they could not be bothered with the end at the end of my name. And because my, my login details were Steve, that's how I became So hang on. I've known you for 10 years, 10 years-ish, 10 years-ish. Hugh has known you for 12, 12, 13. Andy Hinsliff has known you for 18 years. No, no, no. no. A long time. I feel like I've known Andy all Forever. my life. I think we People all feel tend like that. To out of admiration, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah we but knew about you before you knew yeah. about us. Why is this the first we're hearing of this? Mm. It's not the first we're hearing of. It's the first I've heard of it. It's the first I've heard of it. Oh, yeah. I've known this all along. Oh, there okay. you go. It's been a couple of years. So Hugh's actually been paying attention. I call him Stephen. When you met... Because I feel polite. Do you call him Stephen? Yes. I just not I, I often call you Stephen. Yeah. Do you get annoyed when we don't call you Stephen? No. And when you answer the phone to anybody, do you say, hi, it's Stephen Wyeth? Or do you say Steve? What who do you an- say? Who answers the phone by saying, hi, it's... Hi, it's <laughs> Hello, <laughs> you're Who calls Wyeth? anymore? <laughs> That's true. That's Chinch true. doesn't have... Um, a contact list on his phone. He's just got loads of random numbers. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Actually, that's why I had to uh, ask you for your postcode. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway, Is that what you do? You just on. open your phone and spool through it yes. and press a random number yes. and hope it's the Bang. right one. Anyway, was that the achievement of a dream? It was fantastic. It was a real honour. Yes. Yeah. It was... It was. I thought you did an excellent job. Yes, it was, ex- it was excellent. And you got the first goal of the day from the three o'clock kickoffs as well. You had the earliest goal. So immediately yes. you were into your stride, thanks to Wilfred Bonney. Uh, thanks for immediately texting me to tell me I'd had a goal, by the way. That I was texted, not distracting I in any way whatsoever. <laughs> goal for Steve. And I, and I did it three times. You did? What's that no, buzzing it, noise on my microphone? Oh, good. It's a text. It was a great goal, though. It was a good goal. Oh, yes. He, he really does do that very, very often. Although they are getting relegated. Wilfred Bonney. Does that very often? He doesn't do it at all anymore. No, no. That was no. It was just the second game in the last 29 in which Wilfred yes, Bonney okay. had we, scored. We watched that. We don't need to hear it again. Uh, because it is... <laughs> <laughs> and we all watched. In fact, you watched. On a special occasion, you got yourself a coffee and an eclair. Yes. To sit down and watch the I had the a Steve Wyeth match of the day eclair. Tremendous. Um, well, we're giving you more sugar now because mm. in honour of our first birthday, we have... According to the label, at least, an irresistible hand-finished Bramley apple and maple cake, complete with candle, 
proudly protruding and alight, as we as we said, <laughs> says alight very dangerously to all things wooden. Um, so there we go. We have a birthday cake. Um, so we're going to be enjoying our very own birthday cake. And <laughs> it's mm. quite small, so it won't last very long. It says serve six. If we complete our eating and we still have two servings left, I'll be very surprised. Isn't it up to us to decide whether it's irresistible? That's you shouldn't true. just stick that on the box. Because that's that could be misleading. Irresistible. It could be horrible. Fact. Uh, so do get in touch if you'd like to send us uh, any cakes or birthday messages. Uh, then you can do. Uh, it's Stephen Wyatt <laughs> no, at Seppi's Menu. Uh, I should have prepared menu. myself for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, at at Seppi's Menu on Twitter and Seppi's Menu at gmail.com. Uh, just a quick um, rundown of some of the uh, contributions we've had in the last week. Uh, thank you to those people, uh, particularly Ollie, Christian and Sanath who all got in touch recently uh, for podcast suggestions. We are very grateful. Uh, do keep them coming in. And also... Somebody who very kindly pointed out that the podcast is now hosted by Rory Smith, Andy Hinchcliffe, and two no marks, uh, which is very pleasant of them. It's which now means just you, you've now been elevated from anonymity in the uh, Rory Smith plus three others podcast. But it does mean that we are one step closer to achieving our long-stated dream, Chinch, which is hosting a real-life crime show on yes. on Dave or UK Living or something like that. Yeah, Rory and Andy's real-life crimes. Yes. Yeah. Where we investigate crimes that have Oh, been we happened. investigate yeah. the crimes. We don't commit them. No, we don't commit them. Sorry. Uh, you don't, yeah. you, you don't be a hell of a show that, though. Or we could do, do something so, like ghosts. But, but Steve is also, having been on Match of the Day, Has promoted he? from Steven. being a no-mark. So it's only only one no-mark remaining. Which Who's is, that, then? Nice. That'll be me. What I liked about that, uh, the, the exchange, because somebody somebody basically screenshot a, uh, a WhatsApp conversation they'd had with a mate recommending, very kindly, set-piece menu. And the friend said, oh, I've, I've never heard of it. What is it? And I said, oh, it's Rory Smith, Andy Hinchcliffe, and two no-marks. And the, and the, person, the, the person being introduced to the podcast was horrified, horrified that we would be described as such. And so the explanation, oh, it's a joke. I'm playing along with a joke uh, from the podcast. So there you go. Having read that, that Twitter conversation, I do think it was... I have a suspicion that that message might have been inserted into the conversation for the purposes of later screenshotting and putting on Twitter. I don't think he believes that either of you two are no marks. Well, whatever, it's going in the Christmas letter, right. because I'm very proud. Uh, and also just one other thing uh, from at Victoria Guna, um, <laughs> that watching uh, Everton against Huddersfield, noticing that uh, at set-piece menu Chinch was doing punditry. Oh, the silky tactical analysis. Wishing he could be on that Goodison pitch with this dire Everton side. <laughs> with, with your tactics... <laughs> Board, yeah. uh, oh. trying to uh, instrumentally create something interesting. <laughs> there is one other social media engagement that we've had that I want to bring up. Uh, I can't remember the name of the person. For which you or when apologize. It happened, or when it happened. Someone tweeted me to say that, or maybe tweeted Seppi's menu as well, to say that in one of the games recently, one of the recent football matches that have occurred, that the ball ran all the way along the touchline without going out. And that was a source of great joy. And that is that is true. That ah. is one of the greatest joys in football. Yes. That when is it runs true. from ages along the touchline but doesn't go out for a throw. Coming up in next week's <laughs> podcast, we will be, because we haven't got time now because we want to crack on, uh, we will be reviewing some more suggestions of what okay. gives people joy mm. uh, in football. Mm. But to our subject today, which rather fittingly may well draw on some of the conversations we've had over the last year, and it is about football's hierarchy. In other words, perhaps outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona, the whole of the game, its fans, its players, are subject to the maxim, there is always a bigger club. Should supporters just understand and accept that their players are likely to always have higher ambitions or maybe clubs should fight against it sometimes to the cost of relationships with their players and their fans and also their own bank balance. So, for example, uh, let's start with Liverpool. Liverpool buy players from Southampton. Southampton fans get annoyed that they have to accept that Liverpool is a bigger club. 
Then when Barcelona want to buy Philip Coutinho, it's the same premise, but this time Liverpool aren't the bigger club. Liverpool then get annoyed with the predatory nature of Barcelona's pursuit, even though they have been guilty, some would say, of the same kind of pursuit of a player like Virgil van Dijk. Is football's hierarchy unavoidable and is there always a bigger club? Well, Chinch. Yes. When you were a player. When you were a lad. <laughs> when, you, when, you were, when you were in your pomp. Yes. You had clubs chasing you left oh, and centre. Oh, like you wouldn't believe. You almost signed for, for Spurs. I did. You almost signed for another club that I found out about recently that I can't... There was another one that you almost... I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Barcelona. What? <laughs> the, the Is Barcelona a mixture of Arsenal and Barcelona? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> or really bad Barcelona. <laughs> Presumably as a player, you mm. were conscious that you would always... Would you have always been tempted to sign for, for a, a club with greater prospects? No. I, I Whether I was... Uh, a different type of player. I was very happy where this is I was. Another story of Chinch bucking the trend. No, no, I was very happy when I signed contract. I signed a contract with Everton. There was talk about me leaving. Mm. I, I didn't want it when I signed. I was very happy because I enjoyed kind of. You work for maybe two or three years, building hopefully a decent reputation, and then you want that to continue. But I think the way players see their own careers now, there is a lot of chopping and changing. They look for maybe a year or two years, then they think about moving on. I didn't do that so much. So maybe I wasn't as concerned as maybe modern players about saying, well, things are going well here, but there's always a bigger fish somewhere else. Let's try and instigate a move there. But you did move to a bigger club. I went from City to Everton. Which, is a move, which, which at, at that time was a move uh, up. Yes, yes I'd say down. so, yes. But then you moved from Everton. But my hand was forced in that one as well. Ah, it, so I didn't, didn't ask to leave. No, I was sold. So you were forced to move to a bigger club. And you are too it good to play for What thing. was it, like That's, a half Nelson? Yeah, you marched down the East Lanks Road? Can't compete with your Howard talents. Howard Kendall you had me move. in a headlock. You're just too good for us, son. You need to leave. But that's... No, yeah. He later followed you. He missed you so much. And then tried to sell me again. And did sell me again to Sheffield Wednesday. So in fact... Your career is not a career of... I was going to say it was going from a, a big club in the city to a, a more successful team at more that time. More successful, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and probably at the time a bigger club, although that's not worth getting involved with, mm. than going from Everton to Sheffield Wednesday, who were a less successful team and probably a smaller yes, club. Yes, yes. So I was going to say that it's, you've, you've done both. You've gone from... You've stepped up and you've stepped down. Mm. But in reality, all that you've done is be sold by Howard Kendall. <laughs> in essence, that's what my career boiled down to. That, you, yes. that Howard Kendall kept following yes. you around, but yeah. didn't like you. And then yes. sold you. How has this now become about me? I thought this was to do with football hierarchy. It seems a very personal attack well, on my career. Essentially, the chinch hierarchy is chinch here yeah. and yes. Howard Kendall above him. <laughs> yes, exactly, it's decidedly yeah. above him. Yeah, fine. All right. What sort of left back would Howard Kendall have preferred? Who, who did he want? Well, it, it's about circumstance. I was sold for Man City because he needed a goalkeeper and he bought Tony Colton in with the money he got from selling me and he also got Neil Disappointin to come across <laughs> from, that's, that was his nickname that's not me that was his nickname Disappointin so he came he came as part of the deal so Howard got a left back for a left back were, were and they, also had some money Alden? then to, to bring a goalkeeper in as well were they both from Oldham? Uh, no, and Coton. no, Coton, I'm not sure where Coton came from, where, but obviously Neil Point was at Everton, so that was oh, part okay, of the deal yeah, that yeah. took me to Everton. Yeah. So Howard got a left back for a left back, and then they bought Tony Coton in as well. So that was what I was told. Yeah. And also, he didn't think I was very good at football, which is probably why he sold me. So then what happened to Everton? Uh, uh, Howard was there again, and I'd actually played for England, done quite well. They basically got me to sign a new contract, and I was happy to see I signed a four year deal, and then unsurprisingly, the Tottenham interest came along, Sheffield Wednesday. So I th they, they got me to sign a contract to maybe bump the fee up to then sell me. Howard always wanted to let me go, even though I'd done well and play for England. He, he just still, didn't, he just he just, we just didn't get on. We just didn't right. get on at all. So that was just his choice. But then I had more of a choice because I was, I'd signed a four-year contract and I could choose 
whether I left or not. Tottenham reneged on the deal horribly. Mm. Mr. Sugar, what were you playing at? Look at where Tottenham are now. Um, <laughs> Christian and I Gross moved, is always right. Oh, and always then I moved right. to Sheffield Wednesday. But that was more my choice because I was in the driving seat. So were you there. conscious when you moved to Wednesday, despite the fact that you had this lurking spectre of Howard Tendall knifing you in the back constantly? <laughs> Did you... It wasn't quite like that. Were you, were you conscious that you were moving to a club that, that maybe wasn't didn't have the same expectations? No, I, I never even thought about because it was something that, in a way, I wanted to happen because the, my future at Everton, it simply, it wasn't, it was just going to be so, become so uncomfortable. Howard didn't want me there. There comes a point when you, not that you just go anywhere, yeah. but Sheffield Wednesday is still a, a giant club. When you go across to speak to Ron Atkinson at his house with the amazing plate of Kit Kats, you do realise <laughs> that you're signing for a special manager and a great club. So yeah. I, I never saw it as a, a definitely not a yeah. step down okay. from Everton, but I knew my time at Everton had come to an end, so you I had are, to leave. You are talking about a series of events where the manager yes. is very much the crucial figure Absolutely, he's making yes. the decisions yes. but we're probably talking now about an era in which the manager isn't necessarily oh, that's that all changed. crucial yeah, that's the all player changed. is the one that tends to make the decisions and then the secondary decision after that is whether the money works but, so what I was, but what, the what decision was, originally is because of the football hierarchy what I was hoping it. to elicit from, from Andrew George Hinchcliffe was that was the, it interests me whether players would would be aware of kind of the status of the clubs they're moving to when he was playing because Chinch is a you know intelligent uh, what's the word articulate articulate yeah Chinch is an intelligent articulate former player so he if anyone was going to be aware of it then he would probably have been conscious of that I w- th- there has always been a hierarchy you go back to the Bank of England the Sunderland Bank of England club in the 1920s Liverpool robbing players off Scotland Sunderland doing it first then Liverpool taking loads of players out of Scotland where they were still amateurs to, so they could pay them Football has always had a hierarchy. There have always been bigger clubs and smaller clubs, and the bigger clubs have always fished from the pool of sm- smaller clubs. I think the difference now is that it seems more entrenched, that hierarchy. I, you don't see it changing so much. Uh, it's been entrenched for, for long enough already that I think players have it in their heads that they want to move to certain teams straight away. It's more international, obviously. That makes wait, makes plenty of sense. And most importantly, the gaps between the teams are bigger. So... You mentioned Barcelona, Liverpool, Southampton. That's not necessarily sort of Southampton at level four, Liverpool at level three, Barcelona at level two, and then possibly, as in Real Madrid or PSG or whatever, level one. You have a group of them at level one, a group of them at like level 10, a group of them at level 30, and then sort of 50 and downwards or whatever. So I think that's the, the big difference. That the There used to be a concertina effect where you always had teams that were were bigger than others, but there was a relatively smooth gradient, whereas now there are these vast steps between them. Is that pure finances? This no, Rory's right. The international awareness of clubs mm. ha- has has grown, but also the international constituent in the Premier League has grown. So we tend to see it mm. more often yeah. going on. So the the Philip Coutinho thing uh, was was told as being he has a because he is um, a Brazilian player South Americans have a particular affinity with Barcelona and so it is him because of him and because of the moment in his career but also because of his past and where he grew up that he has an affinity with Barcelona that means that he would love to be able Mm. to play uh, for Barcelona so there's a special personal connection that's also alongside a desire to play for a big club who's going to win stuff and get paid loads of money to do it. Because our teams like PSG, are they unusual in terms of their histories and their finances now? Have they elevated themselves into one of the giant clubs because of their finances? That's what it's taking now, isn't it? Yeah. There used to be that aspiration that little bits of success could help you climb the ladder. Maybe an FA Cup win would lead to attracting the players that would help you mount 
a title challenge in the league and then you'd get into European competition and you'd establish yourself to a, a wider audience. Now, you know, it's taking initially millions and then potentially tens of hundreds of millions of pounds to move yourself into the the stratosphere of the big clubs. We've seen it with Manchester City in the Premier League where, what, they invested well over a billion pounds, I think, in terms of buying the club and then the investment in players. And so too at PSG, that money has has come from, you know, I suppose it's almost like state-sponsored, isn't it? Investment in clubs. And that has been the way in which they've been able to take a massive stride forward. Tottenham are obviously trying to do it in a slightly different way, aren't they? By holding on to talented players, bringing in a, a good coach, and, and trying to build a successful team, but that is that that's the hard graft way about going to do it, and th- there's no guaranteed success. And the hardest thing is to keep those players at the club as well. Yeah. We've seen that at Tottenham now, where they're desperately keen to keep Danny Rose, to keep Harry Kane. They've already lost Kyle Walker. Is it then the finance? Okay, Kyle Walker moving from Tottenham to Man City, clearly a step up both in terms of the size of the clubs or in terms of his, his wage, everything will improve well, going to City. So will he see that as a, a step forward in terms of winning things? Well, see, the, the money thing I'm interested in, and this is hopelessly naive and you will tell me I'm wrong, but I, at that level, I don't think players make decisions for money. I think there is no... There, I don't think there is a player who is thinking, I desperately have to earn 300 grand a week. I think that some of them will think, if he's earning that, I have a right to earn that as well. Mm. There's a status element to it. But I think that what... what in, what, ma- what is most relevant for the hierarchy at that top end is is status. And Steve's right, PSG and Man City have spent billions to, to get there. But I don't think there will ever come a point where Manchester City are regarded as out, as a club of the same level as, as Barcelona or Real Madrid. How about I, I Man United? How, how, how do you see the two Manchester yeah, I think clubs? Manchester United are... It's got this closer. It's a great question, Chinch, well, isn't it? It's a great question. It's a very difficult question, question to answer no, because we, we take it in a prism of, of today. No, no, but, no. I think in but, terms of histories, traditions, finances, that, everything. That is a, I think that's a different different question. Mm. But it's very hard to answer because you're going to offend a lot of people. I'm, I'm <laughs> conscious that I'm going to offend a lot of people. I would say... Your opinion should never offend anyone. To, to, from a global perspective, Manchester United are bigger than Manchester City despite the, the last five years. Mm-hmm. I think that no matter... And it would take decades to change that. Yep. Yeah. This, this is where... History- H- however, however many trophies were won, ha- whatever the calibre of the players yeah. at the club, because, you know, f- fandom passes down through through generations, yeah. doesn't it? And even, even living in, in South Manchester, you know, a lot of kids, five, six, seven... Are going to go? Are going to watch City now? Just because tickets are easier to come by, so that will gradually filter down over time. But it will mm. take decades. And and just quickly before, because you're you're going to make a very very astute point. No, I was not. just going to say that that's that's a, a different podcast about history and does history matter? Have we not done that one? No, we're going to. It's on the list. It's on the okay. list. Don't worry. Does history matter? But we're talking about the right here and now, the football hierarchy, and it might be a different answer that you suggest because if you're a player, do you at this moment want to go to Manchester City or Manchester United? It's now not only just about the history, it's about the right here and right now and Manchester City are more likely to win trophies. Yes, I think that's probably true and also they've got Pep Guardiola and we know that managers attract players. But what I was actually going to say was that I think that from a global perspective, United are bigger than City and as Steve says, until... City. I mean, City would have got years and years and years and years. That t- only time will close that gap, if it can ever. Um, they, they've, they've made it closer than it used to be, but they're, they're not at the, of the same level. But equally, I, the same applies to United with Barcelona and Real Madrid and to an extent Bayern Munich. And the same applies for PSG to Barcelona Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. That PSG can sign Neymar. They can pay Neymar, Neymar more money than any other player earns in the world. But I don't think to most footballers 
that PSG is the same as Real Madrid or the same as Barcelona. No, and that's why PSG had to do what they did yeah. with Neymar, spend £200 million, but also give him an incredible amount of money. We're, you said that money doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. You said about, yeah, but is, but is he a one-off Neymar? Or I don't think is so much money you couldn't do, not no, do I, it? I, I think what I, the money the money was important for Neymar, but I do genuine I do genuinely and perhaps naively believe that part of what Neymar wanted was the ability to shine on his own stage. I yes, think that's really and, important. But that was a reason to leave Barcelona, not necessarily to join PSG. But then, could any any of the other clubs that he, he couldn't go to Real Madrid that would have caused ru- enormous ructions? I'm not sure that any other club had the money to buy the to do, to do the buyout. That's the basic problem. Maybe City, but even then, I think they'd have been pushing it. The the amount of money PSG people would there is a perspective from which. PSG signing Neymar makes, makes this all irrelevant and you say well look the football hierarchy is changing on form we're going to get a PSG Man City Champions League final isn't it you know the, the era of the old aristocrats is dead welcome to the, to the nouveau riche but I think the amount of money PSG have had to pay Neymar to get Neymar to Paris is proof of the hierarchy yes, no, that's really how much money you need yeah. to usurp that hierarchy because Barca, Real Madrid and to an extent Bayern they have a slightly different model are on top of it beneath that you've got Man United and the great exception Chelsea Chelsea are the exception to it. Chelsea came along at just the right time to get a sort of backdoor entrance into that elite. Because if you speak to players across the world now, Chelsea is not the same as Barcelona or Real Madrid, and there's cultural reasons for that, but Chelsea is the same as Manchester United. But the difference, once again, just to wrap this up, between history and hierarchy is that history is a is a something that has been accrued over a great deal of time and it's the way that we feel about clubs but hierarchy is very transient and it's of this moment who's boss right now and yes the fact that there's a football hierarchy hasn't changed but those places within it subtly or not and you've always got Barcelona and Real Madrid at the top I understand that but they do tend to move around a little bit more the question that went to Chinch was about players do they move for money or do they move to prestige so it might be paraphrasing it so slightly surely there are different sorts of players there are some that will be attracted by the history of a club whose ambition ever since they were a young kid was to play for Barcelona Real Madrid Manchester United or Bayern Munich and they would rather go and play for that club for less money than they might be able to earn at a Manchester City or a PSG because it's fulfilling an ambition there are surely others who will see the riches on offer will know that that club is willing to pay more in terms of transfer fee and wages than, than any other team can match to get their services and they will be swayed that that will be what sways their decision is, is that not just human nature but also in, in terms of, of clubs like Bayern Munich Barcelona Real Madrid in terms of their because we talk about money it seems to all boil down to money in many ways how much a, a club is willing to spend PSG Man City trying to kind of close the gap do certain teams rely on their historical greatness to encourage people to come and sign for them Barcelona, Real Madrid have been around for such a long time, have been giants for such a long time. Do they need to throw money at people to get them to come and sign for them? Bayern Munich the same. Does their name alone, their histories alone, not encourage players to come and join them? Or is it, will it always boil down to, to money? I think they have to be competitive wage-wise, yeah. but I'd say that the only teams that have really relied on history to try and attract players without matching kind of market salaries are teams like Liverpool and Arsenal. Yeah. They're the only ones who've underpaid and hoped, I think, to some extent, that, that we're Liverpool and we're Arsenal will will encourage players to sign for them. Because Alex Soxlade-Chamberlain was saying whether he had a, a variety of clubs to sign for, he said he always wanted to play for Liverpool. 
So maybe again, that's maybe right. See, certain players have clubs in their minds. They're playing for Arsenal, but there's always that hankering to maybe for some reason it might be something to do with their childhood. They want to play for a certain club. He was desperate to play for Liverpool. You but might, also, might that have other choices. Coutinho, uh, yeah, yeah. for wanting to yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well. So yeah, yeah. We can all have emotions, and yeah, you yeah. can instinctively be drawn to a club that you like or you've always wanted to play for. Yeah, that's that's understandable, and that yes, that neuters slightly the football hierarchy. But mm. there is, on the other hand a supportive argument to say that the reason that people have instinctive feelings towards these clubs is because they're higher up on the football hierarchy. Yeah, Zlatan Ibrahimovic might be quite a good recent example. There must have been other clubs interested in signing him other than Manchester United on both occasions, yeah. actually, initially and when he, he re-signed. But clearly, you know, he has collected some notable clubs along the way in terms of feathers in his cap, you know, for his career, in terms of who he's played for and what he's won at those clubs. And clearly there was an attraction for him to come to Manchester United and to try and achieve something at a club with, with their sort of mm. prestige. I'm sure he could have gone elsewhere and potentially earned oh, more course, money. Yeah, yeah. So where do the Italian clubs sit in all this? The Milan clubs, Juventus, how are they seen in terms of hierarchy? Where do they sit? Well, so I, I, if I was in Milan, the August... August. And Marco Fasone, who's the, the chief exec of AC Milan, said that he, who's worked for Juventus and Napoli as well, said that he found selling AC Milan to players is the easiest job he's ever had. So okay. I think he's kind of contractually bound to say that to an extent. <laughs> but I think that they still have that, that redolent glamour. I think what, what has changed there in terms of hierarchy is the way that Italian football is perceived. Mm-hmm. And players now don't want necessarily to play in Italy. Although I would, I'd be really interested to see what, you know, whether, I don't know how you'd, you'd ever kind of formalise it or, or turn it from a suspicion into into actual knowledge but I would imagine that players maybe would perceive Juventus, Inter and Milan as, as potential members of kind of that Manchester United Chelsea group just behind the, the really big three um, with PSG and Man City there as well I guess uh, that, that those three Italian clubs do have the kind of yeah. the, the history. You're talking about iconic names yeah. and stadiums in which the, the, the Milan clubs play and obviously Juventus have, have relatively recently moved into a sort of a, a modern state of the art facility and also you know visually the iconic strips yeah that's really important I think that's quite significant yeah. you know picturing Even for modern players do you, yeah, do you, yeah, you still think that carries some weight yeah yeah. I think yeah if you if you if the, the all white of Real Madrid the, the red and black of AC Milan I think they are they are considered iconic by it's players a, it's evocative you would imagine yourself mm. in those uniforms wouldn't you yeah. I, I, I think that must that must drive it for, for certain players and it, just an, another point in, the, in terms of being competitive obviously that's why Juventus currently have an advantage in terms of being an Italian club that can attract players because you know they are going to be challenging at the top of Serie A there's a very good chance if you spend three or four years with Juventus you're going to win the title two or three t- times likewise Bayern Munich you know they might not be the biggest payers you might not be guaranteed a Champions League final but you are going to walk away with you know three or four title winning medals mm-hmm. during a, a stint there so that's the advantage those kind of clubs have in terms of attracting players is they can almost guarantee silverware even that's, if, a ch- that's a change that's a real change even if it's just domestic silverware that hierarchy's always been there but that wasn't always the case because there was no guarantee, yeah. because, there was no guarantee. because it was it was slightly more uh, diluted throughout those teams in those countries and as we've discussed on previous uh, podcasts where we've c- compared the the relative strength of leagues around Europe. That's something that Premier League clubs cannot do. 
They might be able to pay you more money. They yeah. can't guarantee yeah, you success. But, um, but not even can, Manchester City can guarantee but, you success. But you can, you can guarantee a lot more money than you would get paid. So we're, we're trying to decide how much it is all about money and how much it is about history and how much it is about competitiveness. If, if you're Zinedine Zidane when you joined Juventus, there would have been more teams than Juventus mm-hmm. wanting you. Blackburn. Blackburn were very much in there in it. If they just bid more than £3.2 million, pounds, they might have had a chance. But they already had Tim Sherwood, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. That's, that's the story that Tim Sherwood tells. <laughs> you wouldn't be surprised to hear. Um, but he, he moved to Juventus. At that time, Juvent- mid-90s, Juventus were mm-hmm. the, you know, one of those in the very, very top of the football hierarchy. For very similar mum- money, by the way, that Sheffield Wednesday play- paid for Andy Booth. Oh, Andy Booth. <laughs> yes. Not Andy. Oh. Not Andy. The, much, the much mocked and maligned by you. We Andy never Booth. mock or malign Andy Booth. We merely celebrate. He's a wonderful man. Him and, anyway. him and Zinedine. Very, very similar. Very, very similar transfer fees. Yeah. So when he does that, it was different to when it is now. If he had been that same player now, who he wouldn't, he wouldn't join Juventus. If Juventus... And Manchester United and Manchester City and Chelsea and let's not say Real Madrid because he then went to Real Madrid. We're, we're in for that. So the, the team's just below the top two. It, it's different now to how it would be. And you mentioned about that Juventus actually are in that same category as Manchester United. I suggest that actually they're slightly behind because there is an element of winning Serie A four or five times isn't as much to a lot of players as winning the Premier League maybe once and getting paid a lot more whilst trying so to do it. The money is a really important factor there, I agree. I think, I know what you mean about Serie A and its, it's lack of glamour. I think the other thing, that, the, the kind of counterpoint to that is the Champions League. The, players, the best players want to be in the Champions League and they will go to clubs who can offer them Champions League football. And the, the big danger that all six of the, big Engl- the English top six have is that two of them are going to miss out every year and it's really hard to tell which two it's going to be. So you look now, it's probably going to be City and United for definite. The other four, you'd probably put money on Chelsea, but you probably wouldn't put a lot of money on Chelsea. Uh, and then the other three, it's a toss-up, really. So you're trying to think, well, if you're a player and you've got a choice of those six, or Juventus, a player who's des- desperate to play in the Champions League, City or United, fine, maybe Chelsea, but Juventus are your safe bet. They will be there every year. But Manchester United managed to do it even though they were not... Being able to well, this is another provide Champions League football. They were still able to do it because they did have enough history yeah. and money to for be able to overcome that for hiatus. One, for one year at a time. Liverpool is the best example of a team that have missed out on the Champions League two or three years in a row, and it suddenly gets really hard to persuade players that you, actually next year we'll be back. Don't worry. Yeah, you, you lose unless you're. United are different because they were in it, you know, for so long, and they did so well in it, and they were champions. You know, they're Manchester United. They had a, a bit of a kind of, they they had a grace period that was maybe longer than most teams would be allowed. But Liverpool, within two or three years, couldn't get the same players that they've been able to get in 2008, 2009, because the players stopped believing they were going to be in the Champions League. It means you're shopping in a different market. But from the hierarchy point of view, it's the shopping that's part. Partly, it's the shopping that's changed because there's now much more focus on buying players constantly. The big clubs are hoovering up talent, which not only serves to kind of highlight the hierarchy, but also to, to reinforce it. So more and more players end up with this, small, this smaller and smaller group of clubs of all like, youth players, senior players, whatever they are, they are all being dragged towards these same teams, which serves to kind of 
prove to us on a, da on a daily basis that, that there is this massive hierarchy, but also to, to make the hierarchy even more entrenched. But if you're a 16, 17-year-old player making your way in South America and Europe, and you're getting... What, what's pulling you to Barcelona, say? Is it the money that takes young players who haven't really established themselves I yet? think it's the dream. Saying the Hoover, is, is that what it is? Is it'd that taking part, them there? It'd be partly the money, but you can earn as much money as a young player at Barcelona as you, as you could as a young player at Leicester, to be perfectly honest, unless you're something really, really special and Barca mm. throw out, you know, pull out all the stops for you. If you're a 17 year old from, I don't know, it needs to be in the, the EU to be relevant, I guess. If you're a 17 year old French kid and you've got an offer from Barcelona and an offer from Leicester, I would guess that the money is better from Leicester okay. most of the time. Money's but really again, they have to do that because they're aware yeah, that they have to punch above what yeah. is their position in yeah. the football hierarchy. So with this hierarchy issue, how is it still possible without millions indeed billions of pounds to move around to, to change your status or would clubs be better off accepting their place in the hierarchy and fans would need to do the same thing and trying to work within the, the parameters of your position on the ladder you know but you know buy cheap sell at the top end of the market keep investing keep gradually trying to improve yourself do we do we need Hiring to a good coach to improve yeah. your players do we need because that, that's the big issue here isn't it in terms of hierarchy do we have to accept the world order mm. as it is or, or is it something yeah, that's if that's, if it, that's the way the modern game is is it a bit pointless to keep like with Virgil van Dijk at Southampton yeah. inevitably you feel he will leave so it's great to say well we managed to resist Liverpool's advances for a year but eventually you feel he will be leaving. It, it, does there come a point where you have to accept and say, actually, this is out of our control now. It is about finances or history yeah. or a player wanting to leave this club. There's only so much clubs can do. And it's not necessarily settling for where you are, but understanding the way that football is across Europe and across the world. Well, if you look at this, the certain examples that, that kind of suggest that that, is the, that might be the, the best way forward. So Borussia Dortmund, mm. to an extent, sell themselves as a stepping stone. Yeah, they they'd went out and bought all yeah. those teenagers. So how do their fans? Do their fans think they're getting shortchanged? Or well, they, no, because they're, they're because working sensibly. If you are, they're, they're in a fairly unique position, Dortmund. But Dortmund's plan, I think, is that we, if we go out and get loads of teenagers, the best teenagers in the world, or the best 20, 20, 21 year olds in the world, we can tell them, look, if you do really well here for two years, we will sell you. Monaco did exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. The right back at Monaco, Sidibe, I think, um, he he had an offer from Arsenal before he joined Monaco. It was the two of them. Monaco's pitch was, don't go to Arsenal now, because if you go to Arsenal now and it doesn't work out, you'll be written off, you'll be, you'll be back in France. I think he was playing for Caen or someone like that. Yeah. Um, you'll be back in France and it will have failed. You'll be tainted. You, you'll be tainted. Come to, come to us, have two or three years with us, really develop, really shine, and then we'll sell you to Arsenal anyway. And they get more money. That was Monaco's pitch. And it's the way Dortmund worked as well, that mm -hmm. we will go and get the best young players we can. We will craft them into the best team we can. And we will compete as high as we can with those players. It's going better. It went better for Monaco and Dortmund last year than it has for either this year. That is true. Although Monaco, I think, is still second in France. The reason it works and the fans accept it is because if you can keep the kids coming, you never drop in quality. It's always a bit of a risk. And you, you can't have a, a fan base who is expecting to win the title every year, mm. which I, I don't think Monaco and Dortmund fans do. Well, Monaco haven't really got a fan base full stop. No, exactly. So it's <laughs> probably easier to do it. But, but Dortmund are the complete opposite. But Dortmund yeah, are the yeah. complete opposite. Yeah. But there, we, we know from Europe, from across Europe, that there are examples of teams where fans don't... We always think of fans as thinking, oh, they won't, the fans won't accept that. The fans will get angry about that because they want to win every, every week. All fans are like that. They're not. Athletic Bilbao prove that. They prove that absolutely, that you can have a, a, a fan base with a mindset that is different. So how would Southampton fans feel about losing so many players to 
bigger clubs? Is that something, again, they just accept or are they the, unhappy the, that the these things are happening? The acceptance comes if, exactly like Roy said, that club are able to replace those players that go with similar players who are three years behind. So they they, they bought Virgil van Dijk for £10, £11 million from Celtic. They bought Victor Wanyama for £12 million from Celtic. They're going to sell them for a profit. And, and they signed during that Brown. time... Bought, but bought, bought Fraser Forster from Celtic. Celtic. Well, actually, there's a pattern but yes, was that developing here. Actually, for about £10 million. But so was that the plan? That the plan was always to sell them or to keep them for five, six, seven years and be part of a successful Southampton team? No, the plan was to sell them. The, pl- the plan the was plan to sell them. It has, has to be to sell them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be to sell them at that moment or when they don't want to. Okay. So they may well have a long-term plan to eventually sell it, but the, but the, surely the pride comes from the fact that you are able to continually achieve regardless of the player turnover. And then that goes back to the scouting system. Can you provide those players to fill the gaps? And the first couple of years that Liverpool and Manchester United came in to get those young Southampton players, they were able to, to either replace them or improve on them. But it's getting harder and harder to yeah. do that. And you mentioned that Borussia Dortmund's slightly struggling this year. Monaco, it'll be interesting to see if they can do it two, three, four years after that that golden generation, terribly overused phrase, um, that got so far in the Champions League last year. So there's an element of pride that you can succeed within your means, but there doesn't necessarily have to also be no frustration Mm. at that's where you sit in the hierarchy. Well, clubs are going to cotton on to this, aren't they? If if Southampton are buying players for 10, 12 million and selling them to, well, basically Liverpool for 25, 30 million, if Southampton go into the transfer market for a player, the selling club are going to think, well, hang on a second. Mm. They've developed a reputation for yeah. for selling players on after two or three years for double the value. They must see some real potential in this player. That's going to drive up the, the fee. If Southampton are interested in our player, then hang on a second. Maybe we should have a look around and see if you know anyone else is. That's a really yeah. sad state but of affairs. But, that, that, <laughs> but that, that, that's maybe why Dortmund are finding it harder. Yeah. Because clubs are going to cotton on to what's happening and maybe, who knows, Liverpool might suddenly realise that they could potentially cut out the middleman altogether <laughs> well, and just have Celtic. a scouting system. Like they system. used to, yeah. take all the Scottish players. You, yeah. Even though none of these examples are Scottish. You're kind of, that, that I, I've always thought that I'm surprised that clubs don't work like that. I mean, before Southampton, there was Leon, there was Udinese, there was Porto, who had this, Porto's a weird example because they had slightly odd financial affairs. Yes, lots but, of third parties. Lots of third parties. But you, you would think that clubs would say, do you know what, Southampton have got this great link with Celtic they keep taking players from Celtic let's keep an eye on Celtic and we have seen that when Forster and Wanyama and, and Van Dijk come down to, have done well in Scotland and they've come down to England they can adapt really quickly so maybe we don't need to worry about signing players directly from Celtic because if Southampton can do it maybe we can just go to Celtic see when they've got you know a, a talented kid in central defence or whatever Kieran Tierney someone like, at left back someone like that Maybe we maybe doing well in Scotland for Celtic and in the Champions League is a pretty good guide to being able to compete in the Premier League but for some reason, and it baffles me, it never happens. Yeah, but also in terms of the hierarchy, if you're a youngish player going to play regularly for Southampton, the challenges yeah. of playing regularly for Liverpool, a getting into yeah. that team in yeah. the first place is incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah. So they have the opportunity to play. So then a, a bigger club can look at them and say, right, I can see them as a Premier League player now for a year, two years. Right, we know what we're going to... If you go straight to Celtic and buy that player, 
is he going to get any football at all apart from in well, under 23 logic, that, no, that's the problem he's got to work his way up the higher yeah, the higher there we go <laughs> but logically let's, and let's, let's take Tierney as an example just he's a left back so Kieran Tierney no but he's a very good player so I think we need someone who maybe right. isn't well, those, those as, two as things some, go completely no 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 but you're, you're, you're probably Fraser Forster Wanyama they're probably do you think they, were, they weren't quite sure um, they weren't quite sure okay. and that's why maybe bigger clubs didn't come and sign them in that for, I'd, I'd heard lots of different stories about Van Dyke when he moved to Southampton saying this could this is disastrous he's awful and then look how great he is so maybe a lot of clubs had scouted him or maybe been advised not to take the plunge on him because they weren't quite sure we, but then they had the luxury of seeing him play regularly for Southampton thought actually yeah we're getting so we great about that in our transfer Tierney's too good a player to say because he's obviously a very good player the, high, the higher up you are in the, in the transfer hierarchy the, the yeah. more money you have and, the, and the, the more that you can offer is the, the, the fewer risks that you need to take because yes. you were able to yeah. see the bigger pool of players the, and you'll be able to pluck the ones that have the, the, the best proof that they're yeah. going to be able the to The market make. always has to have a Southampton or a Leon or yeah. an Udinese or a Porto. They ha- they, they have to ha- there has to be risk-taking clubs. That, that's the way that hierarchy works. But it also entrenches the broader hierarchy where those clubs who do have great scouting systems and great coaches and what have you, they are... Con- they are now kind of compelled to function as feeder teams to the absolute elite. So it all sort of blends into together that to reinforce this this status quo where you have half a dozen, ten potentially teams on the very top, and then a massive gap, and then everybody else beneath that. The, t- the thing that will frustrate those lower down the rungs of the ladder is the hypocrisy mm. of this of this situation. If you're the, a, a fan of a mid-table club in the Premier League and one of the, the big six comes in for your player do you know what you're going to have to pay the money for him because and that's the way it works that's how them from their grasp yeah. <laughs> that's because that's the way the money filters down within the Premier League but what then annoys supporters of those mid-table clubs is then when the, the teams near, near the top start kicking up a stink when Barcelona or Real Madrid come in for one of their players, as though it's not exactly the same situation. Mm. And then in turn, you know, when that, when those, you know, the great white sharks at the moment that are Manchester City and PSG, for whom money is no object, come in and want to sign a player from Barcelona, Barcelona are huffing and puffing and, and playing silly buggers about getting the deal done because they feel as though their their prestige and reputation is being trampled all over. So you can't have it both ways, you, basically. No, you, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't feed off the clubs beneath you and then complain yeah. when those above do the same, same to you. And, and, and everybody, everybody thinks that their club is higher in the football hierarchy of course. Than, than it perhaps is. So it's, there is an element of being very protective. Especially at the top, though. There is a narcissism of small differences whereby... So Burnley fans are probably self-aware enough to realise that they're not Burnley are not on the same level as Manchester United, and I would imagine if United came in to sign Matt Lowton, for example, mm-hmm. there would be a section of Burnley fans who thought, well, actually, do you know that's quite good that Man United want to sign one of our players. They, they would be sad to see him go, but there wouldn't be any great. Kind they of would be shot. fighting against it. Whereas Liverpool fans maybe do not accept the idea that they are not on the same level as Barcelona, because that there was a point where Liverpool probably were on the same level as Barcelona many, many moons ago, but that has now changed. And, it's and that's a, why the dif- we're saying yeah. the difference between history and hierarchy. Exactly, yeah. So at the moment, and the, the point you made earlier as well about the, 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 the internationalisation of it means we're more exposed to it. Kids in South America don't grow up with dreaming to, of playing for Man United and Chelsea. Or certainly they, they might now, it might be in 10, 15 years' time, we find loads of Argentinian kids who support Chelsea. But I suspect we won't. And I suspect what will happen is what happens now, which is that Argentinian, Brazilian kids, they want, to, they want to play for Real Madrid and Barcelona. And a lot of that is a language and cultural most, collection, most, connection. Most well. players in Europe want to play for Real Madrid and Barcelona. There might be a load in France who want to play for PSG at some point, but 
But this, this is why City and PSG, in terms of their finances, have changed the picture. Because in the past, Barcelona and Real Madrid answered to nobody. They were at the top. But now, because of the finances, City and PSG can pay the money to get players to think about leaving Real Madrid and Barcelona. You think, well, where are you going to go from there? There are only, presumably, two clubs that you can go, but they didn't use, that didn't used to be the case. No. So the finances has then elevated them. Not above in terms of the success they've had or, or, or the, the titles that they've won, but in terms of the money they can pay, players will think about signing for City and PSG, even if they're playing for... Neymar, the classic example, he wants to be his own. Of course, he wants to be out there on his own, proving how good he is. But also, it took the money... Mm-hmm to get him to leave and that wasn't the case 10 years ago with PSG and Man City wasn't it they weren't in that in that ballpark yeah. so now the money has, has elevated them in many ways above Real Madrid and Barcelona so maybe getting hold yeah. of players so maybe you can most teams do have to accept their place that is not a conclusion but looking at the evidence most teams maybe do have to accept their place well, how, how did Barcelona feel about Neymar leaving were they furious. absolutely furious and I think they were furious partly because it, it exposed to them that maybe they, they weren't quite as untouchable as they thought yeah. and it, it called into question kind of their self their sense of self as much as anything that the idea was actually yet yeah, this player one of your best players will go somewhere else which if you're a Barcelona fan I but imagine before, is quite yeah before you have the decision yeah. Yeah. Barcelona and Real Madrid are in those positions where they can make they are determining their own players' futures because they're the top of the tree. Yes. Suddenly, ah, there's, it might yeah. not be above them, but it's... It's not necessarily for the right reasons. It's financial more than success, you know, past in historical success. Well, it must have been a little, there. Bit, a little bit embarrassing that you just put this fanciful figure in a contract buyout clause or 220 million. That, yeah, that'll do. Put that in there. You know, no one can afford that. And two or three years later, actually, there's a club that can afford that. That's... That is a clear indication of, of where your position may Well, I wonder what's in Messi's new contract. Yeah. Billion, I wonder what's, it? Is it a billion? Yeah. yeah. That, and they Would PSG pay more. that? No, because he's too old. Oh, OK. Uh, well, you said that it wasn't necessarily a conclusion a moment or two ago, Rory, but I'm going to use it as a conclusion no, uh, because we have to move on because there is a football hierarchy around this table and at the very top of it is Andy Hinchcliffe. You oh, really? Because he is wearing um, what is, can only be described as a pimp's scarf. And it's kind of a, it's it's kind a, of a cashmere poncho kind of thing. It's the it? kind of thing that yeah. Lenny Kravitz would go out in. I think so. Yes. Yes. So let's uh, say it's that. With that, we'll call it the soccer story scarf uh, okay. for now, because like you it. are going to take the reins. It's never mind, Jack and Ori. What a soccer story time! This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days, with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Um, mm. You have the magic scarf. Tell us a story. Okay. This is the uh, Sunday, the 9th of April, 1995. Oh wow! You can remember. Yes, I, I checked. On the internet. Um, <laughs> FA Cup semi-final at Elland Road. Ah. Everton against Tottenham. I bet it's what a seared into your memory. Yes. Uh, the Amakachi game, yeah. where we win 4-1. <laughs> That's how well, I remember well, it. No, Amakachi <laughs> came on when he wasn't meant to come on. He was a substitute, and there was an injury, I think, to Paul Rideout, and Joe Royal was accessing the situation, and Daniel Amakachi decided just to, I'm going on. <laughs> came on and scored twice. <laughs> Genius. The, the Matthews final. Amakachi <laughs> <laughs> semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what it's forever known as. We told the story in the podcast that I spoke to him recently, and he was very, very happy to uh, to hear your name, as I mentioned. Really? Yeah. So, yes. uh, you know, he still remembers you fondly. Just yeah, as yes, much as you're able to tell this Anyway, this fondly. is after the game, so we've, we've beaten Tottenham, given the right good spanking 4-1. So we're all celebrating, and there's a coach, obviously, to take us back to Goodison Park, because the game's at Ellen Road. So there's good celebrations, the champagne and everything else. We get onto the coach. Oh, oh, we think we're all on the coach, going back to Goodison Park. So we're all celebrating on the coach as well as a lot of banter going on, not realising that maybe there's, there's one person missing that we didn't realise was missing. So anyway, we travel all the way back to Goodison, get back there, pull up in the car park at Goodison. And then 
the wives coach <laughs> turns up. There's coach. a wives coach. Yes, I did. This is, I didn't mention it at the start because it makes more of an impact, but you've ruined it now. So the wives coach pulls into Goodison Park as well because they've been enjoying the game, having a few drinks maybe. Pulls up next to us. So we're all getting off one coach, seeing our wives come off the other coach. Who comes off the wives coach who should have been on our coach? Duncan Ferguson. <laughs> so Duncan, after the match, has thought, I'm onto a winner here sozzled up wives, got onto the wives coach and travelled back to Goodison Park after an FA Cup semi-final win with the wives of the other players. Now, I'm not saying anything went on in that coach. And his own wife. But not? it had to be jet washed <laughs> from the inside. I guarantee you that. He got off the players' wives coach. And I said, where's Don? There he is, coming off with the players' and, and wives. You wouldn't, accuse, you wouldn't accuse him because nobody no. accused no. him. No, 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 Was no, Duncan no, Ferguson no. not married? Uh if he was, he was very soon divorced. No, he wasn't married at that time. Right. No, no, that's probably why yeah. he was enjoying yeah. the company of, uh, of other see. people's wives. I see. That's outrageous, that is isn't appalling. it? Appalling. appalling. But I know we've won an FA Cup semi final and it's a joyous occasion. I've always thought. Well, that's not right. You couldn't imagine me with a bevy of, of players' wives. I can't imagine you, you with a bevy of anything. <laughs> the, um, you're not the bevy the, kind of guy. You're not guy. really a bevy. <laughs> I think we should all take the Mike Pence approach and not talk to other women. We, we must never be in. Concert with another lady, yes. unless my wife is there. But that's that the worrying the thing: is all the other wives were probably very keen to have him on that coach as well. Very much what so. does that say about them all? Not just my ex-wife. But how many of them are dis- divorced? Because your ex-wife obviously is divorced. Probably quite a lot of them. After that, <laughs> I'm amazed he went on and won the final. And don't ask me what happened after the final. Disgusting. Right, well, we don't have to, be able to tell us that, yeah, aren't well, we? Obviously. Well, clearly that's going to have to be on. A, <laughs> Andy, you're teasing your own your own uh, follow-up story. I haven't got a story. I'll make one up. Andy, nice and quickly, Andy, Steve. We yeah. need to go. What happened after the final? <laughs> I can't tell you that, Stephen. It was disgusting. Never mind Jack and Ori or stories about finals. What a soccer story or stories about semi-finals. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, and if you have any questions or story suggestions for Andy, because they're always very welcome, yeah. uh, if you are on that bus, let us know. At setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Thank you for sticking with us for a whole year and subscribing and sharing and rating and reviewing over the last 12 months as we have been humbly asking you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Many thanks to Andy, to Rory, to Steve... And to you all for listening over the months. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon. Who's still giggling? I just, uh, whilst Andy was telling his soccer story, I knew, I, I knew the way he looked with that blanket wrapped around his shoulders reminded me of something. And I found the picture oh of my Lenny Lord. With, there is Lenny with a scarf the size of a rug. That's like a blue whale scarf. I will, um, I will tweet that out I, on I the set piece many I have taken a picture of Chinch so we'll you can put, put them, them together. Have you? <laughs> In fact, I might you take another one. You did that sort of <laughs> with you being more aware of it. No, you no, no, because that, oh, your hand's sorry. getting in the way. We need oh, to, see, right, to see the large scar. You do look utterly absurd. <laughs> we, we should point out for the benefit of the listeners that no one's been in my house for a week, so it's really cold. So while the heating is coming on... Well, how long does it take to... Well, heat? What kind of heating system have you got? Someone with bellows? What's going on? Rory's <laughs> been in Russia, so he's reacclimatizing. This is, I need it's this. freezing. It is really cold. So I put Chinch in one of my wives' lovely... How many wives have you got? <laughs> One of my wife's, <laughs> I put it in one of my wife's shawl slash scarf things, uh, and he, I think he looks very fetching, to be perfectly honest. I'm warm, that's the main thing. But while we're here, Chinch, the, the pose that Hector is in now ah. is the pose that he was sleeping in when he was sleeping next to me yesterday. Oh, yeah. when you were spooning. We were not spooning. I did not spoon my dog. Does we Kate just know what goes we on. We just slept in the same bed. That's all. 
did uh, Hector also think it was incredibly cold, which is why he decided that he needed to uh, be very close to his owner and father. Hector is always wearing a it's coat. His father. He's never cold. I'm not, it's not his father. His father. Well, we've ascertained that Edward and Hector are brothers, so Hector's, Hector's father is we a haven't, gi- have we, That's just family tree maths. Hector's father is a gigantic Hungarian called Diego. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a joke, that's true.